What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 250 of the Game Time Guru podcast. I am excited to say that. 250. It almost is unbelievable to me. It's surreal. But uh, here we are. Super excited for this episode. We're going to be talking to an individual who has experience playing the sport of basketball at the collegiate level and coaching the sport of basketball at various levels in college as well as high school, but that includes the Division Three NAIA, and junior college levels of basketball. He's going to be sharing his story with us, sharing some very, very important things about you know playing and coaching and what you should expect at various levels of, of college basketball, uh, talking about his journey, so many golden nuggets. It's an amazing interview you don't want to miss. Plus, he has a ton of resources available to help other coaches, parents, and players. You don't want to miss this episode of the Game Time Guru. So... What time is it? Game time boost. This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everyone? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson. Five and a half years running into the show. You guys know this every week, I tell you, but I'm so thankful for all of you listeners who have helped make the show what it is today. We're in 96 countries, continuing to grow, and we've had over 83,000 downloads of the show. It continues to move forward and in a positive way, and it's all organic, and it's because of you guys who have listened and supported it in some form or fashion. So every share, every review of the show, every like, Anytime you've you've listened, even if just if it's just one episode, that matters. I think a lot of people forget how much that actually matters. Uh, just the the little show of support it helps get the show out to more people. Um, and so I just appreciate every single one of you guys. I want to remind everyone that if you haven't done so already, make sure to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps out. That's uh, that's that's the secret. If you get uh, reviews on Apple Podcasts, the algorithms work that way gets you out to more people. Show can be heard in more countries. Our goal is to get to 100 countries by the end of 2022. So today on the show, we're going to be bringing on an individual who has a lot of coaching experience at various levels, um, just experience in the sports world in general. But we're going to be kind of picking his brain about the differences and everything. We're going to learn about his story. We're going to learn about his journey. And uh, hopefully these athletes and parents and coaches that are listening to this podcast right now, whether you be in Idaho, where I reside, or you're across the country or across the globe. I know I've got a lot of listeners overseas. Um, wherever you're listening at, wherever you're listening at, please take notes. Um, I always encourage people, take your phone out. If you're listening to this on your phone, which most people do, if you're on a walk, if you're on a treadmill, if you're on a Stairmaster, whatever you're doing right now, listen to the show, take your phone out and take notes. Now, if you're driving, don't do that. But if you're, if you're on your phone, open up the notes app, get ready to take some notes because I'm sure there's going to be some golden nuggets here by the end of this. I'm bringing on Coach John Willis. John, thanks so much for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to being here, looking forward to meeting with you. And uh, that's that's big time, man. Congrats on the success of the show. And I'm glad I can be a part of that. So thank I, you. For having me. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. And I, I'm definitely sure this, this episode is going to help that even more. So I appreciate you for being here and being willing to share your story. Um, John, before we get into your coaching you know, your coaching history and the things you've learned in coaching. I want to rewind the clock with my guests. I love to do this. I love to rewind the clock and kind of get to know you as a, as a person and as an athlete. So talk to us about, you know, where you're from, where you grew up 
and maybe a little bit about your sports background and when you even got interested in, in the sports world for that matter. Okay, excellent. Um, so I'm from uh, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, home of the Jaguars, you know, so I grew up yelling Duval. Yeah, that, was, that was me. That was the old me. school. You were the original, yeah, huh? That's right. So uh, from uh, the north side of Jacksonville. So where I grew up, um, William Raines High School is there. Brevault High School is there. Um, those are my two neighborhood schools. So uh, just to give you an idea, in, in 2011, Reigns High School had 10 guys on active NFL rosters. Oh, wow. Uh, so you're talking about like really huge uh, sports world. I actually grew up playing baseball. Um, baseball was my thing. I probably played baseball longer than anything else, but I grew up playing baseball, football, and basketball. Um, but baseball, I probably played from like T-ball age up until uh, eighth grade, and I stopped playing baseball then. Um, my older brother played wide receiver for the Florida Gators. He was on the 96 national title team. So you, I want to just paint this picture for you because you're asking like my sports. Yeah. Experience. So I was in middle school and I go visit my brother at college. And so his roommates, a guy named Johnny Rutledge and a guy named Reggie McGrew, they both end up going to play in the NFL. McGrew played D tackle for the 49ers. Um, Rutledge played linebacker for the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, he had another roommate, a guy named Reggie Davis. So those were his roommates. So I would spend my summers with them. Wow. Going to football camp. Going to football camp, and I'm running drills. Because I played running back at the time. I'm running drills with Fred Taylor, you know. Wow. Not, not, even, not even realizing who this was, right? Um, you know, one time my brother came home, um, his – sophomore year his roommate was a guy named Thad Bullard Thad Bullard is a guy named Titus O'Neill now in the WWE oh um, man <laughs> so like I have a picture of him sitting on my mom's couch you know so uh, I met all these all these big time athletes went to all these stadiums in the SEC uh growing up um on the road to Alabama Tennessee you know all these places so that was kind of how I grew up and then um, I started playing basketball because I really didn't want to be in my brother's shadow. Right. You know, he ended, up, big going one. To, um, he ended up playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know. So um, I didn't want to be in his shadow. You know, I wasn't as fast as he was. I had better feet. Like, I was quicker than he was. But, like, overall top speed, you know, he, he was faster than I was. So to get kind of out of his shadow, I really dove into basketball. And um, I ended up playing a school called Mandarin High School. Um, and uh, the, the furthest we made, we made to Elite Eight one year. That was oh, the wow. furthest we made, the furthest we made it to. So there are, there were six classifications in the in the state at that time. I think there are eight now, but there were six at that time. And then I went and played at um, University of South Florida. And at that time, it was in a Big East conference. And uh, just so you just so you know, I use that word play very loosely. I worked really <laughs> hard to be the, the worst player on a really bad team. Um, so I ended up walking on and making the team at University of South Florida. So I was on the women's practice squad. And, um, you know, the head coach happened to just be walking through the gym. He stops to tie his shoes and he sees me playing and he offered me a spot. 
you know, and that's how I got on the men's team there. And so at that time, man, just, just so you know, like I was playing against, I actually played against Boise State in the Rainbow Classic in Hawaii. Um, this would have been back in 2005. Oh, so, wow. Um, yeah, so we were in the Big East, man. You know, Rudy Gay was at UConn at that time. McNamara was at Syracuse. Uh, White was at, at Louisville. So, you know, we were, we were old Big East, man. So um, Roy Hibbert was still at Georgetown, you know, back at this time. Um, you know, so it was a great experience, man. Great time. Great time. Learned a lot of basketball. So that's kind of my hoops background. Man, like there's there's a couple of things here I wanted to dissect. I started taking notes here as you were chatting. First and foremost, so this is crazy. You're coming from a huge sports background, a, a brother who had an opportunity to play at the professional level. Um, but obviously you were, you're mentioning some of the guys you hung out with because of him during summers and so forth. One of the names was Fred Taylor. Shout out Fred Taylor. See, here's a story that I found out when I interviewed Trevor Moad, who rest in peace, Trevor Moad, um, he wrote a book called It Takes What It Takes. He's all about neutral thinking. He, he was Russell Wilson's mental consultant. Yeah. Anyway, he, he talks about his time working with Fred Taylor. And one of the things, like he talked about Fred Taylor's like turning point. It was a contract year for him. He was injury prone, all that stuff. Uh, wasn't going to make it to his next contract. And they had to work with him on his mindset. Uh, and there's, I just remember re reading about, or like talking to him about this, but it was in his book as well. But Fred Taylor, his whole like, shift in mindset which ended up actually helping him with his overall health stayed healthy made his next contract made some made some cash flow off of that but i just i remember fred taylor was part of that original like dominance with uh the jack so anyways it's just it's just interesting to, to to bring up names that remind me of my childhood first off and then it kind of ties to an older interview that i had done but um yeah the other thing is you you talked about uh growing up with with you know good talent your brother and then all of the the you know brother's friends and so forth tell me this uh coach what do you think was the biggest lesson you learned from them as far as like how did they make you better right how did that how did that make you better i mean it's easy to say oh well i was around it so it just made me better but how did it make you better in the mindset of understanding what it takes to actually compete at the next level of anything like some people don't fully understand that i guess some athletes are like yeah i'm gonna play at the next level but they don't know what it actually what that means, what athletes look like, what they, what they move like, that kind of stuff. What did it, what did it do to help you get better? Yeah. So for me, the biggest lesson that, um, there are a couple of lessons that I got from it. So like, I'm going to, okay. So I don't want to get into like name dropping, but in high school, my brother played with, uh, we called him trouble, but his guy's name was Lavernius Coles. And he was at Florida state, you know, I remember the whole, he was there with Peter Warwick and, Oh, you know, wow. You know, yeah. he, ended up, he ended up going and playing for the for the New York Jets for a while. Um, but so, you know, my brother graduated with uh, Lavernius Coles. And uh, right after them, there's a guy named Travis Taylor who ended up going 11th overall to the Baltimore Ravens. He played at University of Florida also. So they were all in the same high school. So and my brother wasn't even like the most highly touted one on the high school team. Right. So. um you know, I remember, you know, like you work on speed training and stuff like that. Like I remember going with my brother and with Trouble, a couple other guys, and we'd be in the neighborhood. They would unlock people's fences so that dogs would come out and we just run it like that. So that's the speed training. You're getting chased. Right. So so it taught me. Well, 
it taught me to always it taught me to always compete right no matter what always compete like you're always competing and then it also taught me just like the, the value of of community right and understanding that i can i can be in my own lane right and you can be in your own lane and i don't have to be against you right like i can i can i can there's space out here for all of us to shine you know, and that's what the biggest thing that I learned, you know, because, you know, they, they probably had, they probably had eight guys go division one off of their high school team, you know, and some guys end up going to the pros, some guys didn't, you know, but, you know, all those guys were down to earth and, and, and the, and the tie is this, because now that I'm coaching, there's a guy named Gary Anderson, who, Gary Anderson finished runner-up for Mr. Basketball in the state of Florida in uh, 96. He finished runner-up to Vince Carter, all right? So Gary Anderson could play. Wow. And um, probably, you know, Gary's like, Gary played, you know, he was like the point forward before I even knew what a point forward was, like 6'6". Six, six. And um, I grew up watching him play, right? Like I was in elementary school watching him, and I'm like, oh, man, he's my GOAT. He's my GOAT. And what was cool was – I was able to recruit his son this past year, right? Wow. It, it, right. You know what I mean? Just, just a full circle of it, you know, and to, um, just to be able to, you know, get on the phone with him and he talked to me and, um, I was actually the only junior college that his son even entertained. Like when he posted his top five choices, you know, you get like D1, D1 prep school and then our JUCO. Right. Wow. So, so it was it was cool, man. So um, th- those would be two things that that I really learned, just the value of community and always and always being willing to compete. I love that. Those are awesome stories, man. That, that is super cool. It's cool how that came full circle. That is wild. And you right. mentioned, dude, the whole it's, it's interesting coming from the West right here, you know, obviously in Idaho, I'm fully aware of the differences in in talent levels across the country. I mean, I coach club basketball. At, you know the 17 year old so we get to travel quite a bit around the west coast even out to kansas we get it we get it our, our club has traveled various places i have stayed over on the west coast area and i see even then i'm like oh wow there's a lot of talent out there but when i hear you talk about even florida i'm like goodness gracious i was just listening to a podcast the other day i think it was the knuckleheads podcast podcast while i was mowing my lawn and i was listening to vince carter's episode he's talking about his high school days in florida and like the, the stuff that's going on over there. I'm like, Oh my gosh, dude. Like it's just a whole different level of athleticism. And you just talking, you just, you just drop names and, and, and people that you were just close to in your own personal realm and your brother's personal realm. That's more than I'll probably ever know in my entire lifetime in a personal space. That's wild. <laughs> you know, that's, it's just crazy how many athletes y'all have over there. You know, you know, coach, you said you, you were your story in getting to, um, to, you know, to the, you know, university of South Florida, you said I was on the women's, practice squad coach saw you pulled you up to the men's yep. um even even then you said oh, i played and you used the term loosely i want to know like even at that point what was the college world like for you at the university of south florida you can say you know bad team bad player this that and the third but i actually think that's a unique conversation because i want to know from your perspective who this is not me talking i'm using your words worst player on the worst team or worst player on a bad team whatever what was the grind like at the college level even then for someone like yourself? So, um, well, first off, I, I go into more in depth about this story in my book. Um, it's called Push. I'm going to send you a copy of it. 
but um so you can check it out Please. but um okay so i went from a varsity starter in high school to one preferred walk-on opportunity coming out of high school it was a school called wallace community college in oklahoma okay my mom was like there's no way you're going that far away from home so my mom was a community college president oh, so wow. i had to go to i went to it was called florida community college of jacksonville at that time and shout out to the stars and um i had to go there for two years and i got cut as a freshman oh wow okay had never been cut in my life all right now I'm only like the program listed me at like six one. I'm really like five eleven, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe. And um I could defend really well. So I always played, I always had to guard other teams' best players. So in high school, you know, we played like three guards. And um, man, I get to tryouts and I'm just having to play the point. Man, and it was awful. I'm throwing the ball all over the gym. You know, it, it was just it was just terrible. And I was in there with some guys who were heavy hitters who end up going to play Division One. Some guys ended up playing overseas. And it's like when I look back at it, like, you know, I'm 38 now. So when 38 year old me look, looks at 18 year old me trying out for that team, I'm like, there's no way I shouldn't even been in that gym. And um, so when you ask about what the mindset or the grind was, you know, I get cut and I get pissed off, right? To the point where I'm like, well, I'm gonna show this coach. I'm not even gonna go try out again, right? The next year. And so my brother, it took my brother saying this to me, it took my brother and there was a guy named, uh, we used to call him the freak. There's a guy named Javon, Javon Curse. Oh, played, okay. Uh, at, at Florida with my brother. So we are at their apartment. We're at an apartment, Javon's over there visiting. Now, Javon... I didn't notice, but Javon played free safety in high school. We talking about Javon Curse, the defensive end. Javon yes. Curse, Javon, yo, Kirst. the Hall of Famer, Javon Curse. Yeah, so he played free safety in high school. So he, you know, so they take a guy who's running a four three four four forty and put his hand in the dirt, right, and make him oh. rush in, right. That's crazy. So my brother was like, "Well, maybe you just ain't that good." Right. And so and so Javon was like, man, you got to really apply yourself to the craft. And he told me how he made the switch from safety to D line. And so. Man, I started training. I probably was. I probably was like 510, maybe like 170, maybe bench pressing, you know, 185 coming out of high school. I went and I started training and man, it was it was, I went two years at JUCO, then a third year at South Florida. First year I tried on walk-ons and didn't make it at South Florida. So I went three seasons without playing for anybody, okay? And in that three years, I got my grades higher than they ever were. I went to South Florida on an academic scholarship. Oh, wow. Okay? And I, I don't like to run, but then I start running, and I got my weight up. Man, I was 195. I was bench pressing 315. Wow. Right? That's what I, those were my numbers. And I just learned 
to play the game, I, I try to pattern my game after Chauncey Billups. You know, I shaved my head. You know, I had a bald head at the time. And so I had this T-shirt, and on the shirt it said, not a fluke. And so then I just started, like, playing anywhere I could play, just trying to be as dominant of a force as I could be. So when I'm in this, I was playing the intramural sports game, right? It's two 20-minute running clock halves. And we were playing against the women's coaching staff, okay? And I scored 40 in that game. Wow. And I mean, that's just kind of how it was. It was like, I'm going to be dominant. I'm going to get whatever shot I want and I'm still going to play defense. So I scored 40 in an intramural game. And there's a coach named Andy Christensen. He was like, man, will you come work with our girls? Just, just come play. Cause they were in a big East, you know, and at that time, right. you know, UConn was steamrolling, right? UConn was steamrolling. So Anyway, man, I agreed to come practice with the girls for in exchange for time on the shooting gun and a pair of Nikes. Um, oh, I love it. I, I, I started uh, to come into practice with them. So that grind for me was it was like daily, you know, and there was nobody there to push me. Right. There was nobody there to push me. I had to really just grind at it myself. Um lifting, eating right, training, those kind of things. And then once I made the team, I felt like there was a there was still like a target on my back because now all these people that I was playing like in a murals with or that I played with at the park and stuff like that, they were like trying to show me that they were just as good, right? So yeah. it was like, you know, like coming at me was like coming at a prize. And I'm like, well, it's not like I'm out here averaging 20, you know, in the, in the Big East, that's not what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm on the team, but I'm sitting, I'm sitting most nights, I'm sitting on the bench. So, um, but it was just a, that, that was the best shape that I was in my entire life. You know, I was the best from a fitness standpoint, best shape I was in my entire life. And, um, you know, that really challenged me in my work ethic. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. So, but um, just the mentality of keeping your grades up, you know, you're busting your behind in practice and doing whatever's asked of you, you know, and uh, there, I mean, I had to be Rudy Gay on a scouting report, you know, Rudy's like six, nine, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, but just having <laughs> to adapt yourself and, and that really helped me in coaching because it allowed me to learn other systems, right. It allowed me to learn a bunch of other systems, a bunch of other schemes. And, um, and so that's something that, that really helped me like today, you know, there are times where I go back and look at some of my notes that I had from my South Florida playing days. Wow, man. Yeah. All of that is wild because like, I didn't know that story. Uh, I, I look forward to the book cause I did. I want to, I want to know more about your journey. I think this is amazing because a lot of people would never know that first off second off what you, you went over it in about five minutes, but there's probably, I mean, that's years of putting in the grind, the mental, you know, exhaustion that's probably is on you. You didn't have any guarantees, right? There's no guarantees that, oh, I'm going to make a roster of it. No, like you were doing your thing to put the grind in. You were taking advantage of opportunities. You're in an intramural game, put up 40 plus, and there was still no guarantee that someone was going to see you and say, hey, come on over here and do this. I love that you did the negotiation. I want time on the shooting gun and a pair of Nikes. That's dope. <laughs> I, I, that's exactly what you should be doing. You should be getting the negotiation starts then. That's how you become a sales rep. That's It's amazing. Um, I love all of that. I think it's so cool. I think the athletes that are listening to this should know that. Like, 
there aren't any guarantees. It doesn't mean you don't put the work in because then when, you know, preparation meets opportunity or whatever they say, that's what they call luck. Right. Right. Take advantage of it. So preparation meets opportunity. Bang. You might, you might never know. You might have an opportunity in an intramural basketball game where somebody sees yet. Who knows? Um, wow, dude, that's crazy. Just for reference, you mentioned like, you know, being 190 plus like 195 benching three bills, like three plates on each side. Um, I was doing this, like I was doing this thing last year where I was taking these point guards out of the NBA. Everyone thinks that Steph Curry's a little guy. I hope people understand that his frame, I mean, he's listed depending on where you look, 6'3, 190. It depends on what you, where you're looking, though, of, of what that's a pretty big dude. You know what I mean? And he looks little out there in the NBA court sometimes. Yeah. A lot of guys make fun of how small of stature he is. I'm like, dude, the dude's 6'3, 190. Uh, right. Some of those stats are probably, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, one way or the other inflated, but um, still, that's a pretty big figure because, like, you're talking about your stature and being 190, and that was big. Like, you were you're big, but I mean, Steph Curry's that's that's what he is. Right. <laughs> pretty that's wild how 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 physical you got to be to play at the the very top level. You know, Coach, being the Big East, um, you mentioned some of the names earlier. You talked about some of the you know, McNamara was there, Rudy Gay. Um, for those who don't know, Rudy Gay, especially the younger generation absolutely dominant um in college and he had a really good run he's still playing uh still but he had a right. he had a good run in the nba for a while he just he got you know tore his achilles later in his career and so you know mm-hmm. he, he hasn't been able to produce at the same level but anyway he was dominant in college um who was the best player that you got to see in person when you were in your college days um i mean from a if you're on the outside looking in i think it's rudy gay for sure okay if you're on the outside looking in um if you were like actually playing in the games um i thought that that uh there was a guy named there were gansey and pitsnoggle at west virginia pitsnoggle um, man i that okay go ahead i remember him i mean just the way that you know and at that time you know those guys were you know, he could pick and pop, you know what I mean? And make like trail threes, man. So that just added a whole nother, that just added a whole nother level. You know, that just had, that just added a whole nother level, man. So when you look at that, um, I thought that guarding McNamara was, was really tough just because of how he could come off the screens. He only needed like an inch of space. His release was so quick, you know? So, um, so he was a tough cover. And then there was a guy named Sammy Mejia who played at DePaul. Um, he was a tough out, too. He was a tough cover as well, man. So, um, so you know, I was able to, you know, see some really good players. I mean, Jeff Green. Jeff Green was at, uh, oh, Jeff Green was at Georgetown. You know, they had Jeff Green. They had Roy Hibbert. And they had Doc Rivers' oldest son. You know, they had Jeremiah Rivers, you know, at that time. So, you know, so these teams, there was never any, there were never any nights off, right? You know, there never any nights off. So, um, you know, that's, I, I just really enjoyed it. Man, you're, you're name dropping these guys, coach. And I'm like sitting here thinking that this is in high school for me. And I was like looking up to these guys, like watching this mesmerized at some of the best <laughs> basketball I've ever seen. You, you were actually able to be on the same court as them. Like you were, that is pretty freaking cool. Um, and just for everyone, like Pitt Snoggle, I think they did a E60 on him or something, like wherever he went afterwards, because he was one of those names, six foot eleven or close yeah. to it, almost a seven footer, mm-hmm. shooting threes at the time. Like that was not as common as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why he was so for the the younger generation. Pitt Snoggle was like 
one of the originals to be able to stretch the game out like a stretch five and be able yeah. to shoot from long range. And that's why he caused so many matchup problems. Kind of interesting to, I, I always, he was just such an oddball back then. Now it would be normal, but it was such an oddball that he was just dominating. It's so funny. Um, tell us about when, uh, when you decided to get into the coaching realm. Um, okay. So when I was done playing, uh, my last year playing was 2007. So when I was done playing, um, I kind of wanted to get back toward the game. Uh, I took a job in construction right out of college and then the housing market crashed. And um, so I had to kind of get out of that. And I was either going to be an official or I was going to coach. And um, my high school coach asked me to come back and work with uh, the JV guys. And, uh, and I did, you know, and at that point I was still in shape, um, still able to play and get up and down with them. So I just, I just enjoyed it, you know, and, and I like the, I just like the strategy of the game, you know, being able to work with players, being strategic in games, you know, like my wife doesn't like watching games with me now because I'm like, well, did you see that? And I'm always talking about action that goes on away from the ball. Right. So, um, you know, like people were, questioning whether Jimmy Butler should have took that last shot right in game seven and I'm more upset with the the sideline out of bounds draw after the timeout right and I'm like I'm like we gotta get something better than that so anyway but um no that's when I decided you know that I really wanted to get into it like I knew as a junior in high school that I wanted to coach but it was after um, you know, right after my senior season, I started, you know, my first team was a seventh grade team, Carrollwood day school, um, shout out to the saints down there in Tampa, Florida. And, uh, you know, we've just been grinding ever, ever since. That is such a cool, like, dude, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, and, and it's interesting you bring that up. It's, uh, you have that mindset that I could totally see being annoying to some that don't understand, like that want to focus on like one part of the game. You understand the intricacies of a game. Oh, that's funny. Um, no, dude, that, that, that is awesome. Uh, shout out your wife too, for being able to, to handle that and be able to watch games. With you. Um, so you start at that level. Now, you know, I want to take the discussion here because most recently you had coached at a junior college up in Washington. Um, but you had mentioned prior to the recording, there had been a couple of different, um, areas you've coached at various levels, the D3, the NAIA, different JUCOs. Um, first let's talk about junior college, especially as of recent, I want, I want to know your opinions on the junior college, uh, realm, especially in the NWAC, like the areas where you were at in Washington, because you've got experience in athletics at some of the big, like high school athletics in Florida, whole different world from where we're, we're at here. Then college athletics in the Big East. Are you kidding me? And then coming over here to the West Coast. Um, I'm curious your 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 thoughts there. So let's talk about junior college um, first and foremost, and your thoughts there as far as athleticism. And do uh, you believe that that kids should stop looking down on junior colleges as an option? And then we'll talk to to you about the rest of the stuff. Okay. Um, so the junior college route, I think, is. Um... I think it's an avenue that people can use and um, should take advantage of. So, for example, you are you're looking at spending a little bit less as far as tuition goes. Um, 
there's a, I think you have to be honest with yourself first as a player and like as a family. And because those, um, those full ride division one scholarships are really hard to get. And with stuff like the transfer portal and with COVID, they're even harder to get now. So if you want to continue to play, then junior college might be the route that you need to go. Um, two years ago in the state of Oregon for division one schools, there's Oregon, Oregon state, Portland state and university of Portland. Okay. Those are the division one schools in the state of Oregon. I counted. There were seven roster spots open. Wow. Combined. Wow. Combined. So, so when you look at, you know, cause everybody says, Hey, I want to play D one, right? Hey, I want to play D one because you know, that's where you go. Those are the lights that you see. Um, I encourage people to play where you can play. If you want to keep playing, play where you can play. So for some people, junior college is the way to go. It provides an opportunity for you to play. It, it provides like an affordable experience now, but please don't like get it mixed up. Junior college is tough. And I think junior college basketball is even harder now than it ever has been. Because when you factor in things like the transfer portal and things like COVID, now, like, I think as a junior college coach, I think you're able to get kids that you wouldn't normally get because the Division One offers aren't there. So if you and I are coaching, let's say we're coaching at Boise State, uh, shout out to my, my, my buddy Jay Barsh, who was just on, the, on as an assistant there. Um, if we're coaching at Boise State, let's say you're the head coach, should we recruit a 6'5", 180-pound, 18-year-old kid coming out of high school who we don't know how he's going to do, how he's going to adapt to college? You know, he's never really lifted very much. We don't know how he's going to do, like, academically. Or should we get a 6'5", 220-pound transfer who's 22 years old? That's a tough one, man. See, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I have some, I have some division one friends who are only recruiting the transfer portal. That's it. Because when you look at, here's the thing though, when you look at the final four this year, right? So in the championship game, we had, we had North Carolina and we had Kansas, right? And well, if you look at the final four, we had Duke and North Carolina, we had Kansas and, um, Gosh, I'm drawing a blank on who Kansas played. Really no. Yeah. So, so when you look at Duke's team, Duke has all these top-tier freshmen, right? Cream of the crop, high-ranking freshmen, you know, Paolo, you know, Williams, those guys. Kansas, well, Remy Martin was the Pac-12 player of the year last year. He's in transfer portal. You know, Grady Manick was at Oklahoma last year. He's an all big 12 guy transfer portal. He's at North Carolina, you know? So when you look at that game, you look at the final four, think about all the shots that Grady Manick hit, you know, he was a you know, heart and soul of that team. And when you look at Remy Martin down the stretch of the championship game, he goes on six Oh run by himself, you know, it really turns the tide of the game. So, so as a coach, cause there is pressure to win as a coach, you know, at the division one level, it almost makes sense for you to recruit the transfer portal. Totally. So, um, 
So that's that, and and with like NILs now, you know, it's just it's the game has just changed so differently. So I do think that junior college is junior college is an option because most high school kids aren't ready to play high level college basketball coming out of high school. They're just not because the high school facilities they're not quite the same to prepare you for the college game. So, for example, right now, there are only seven states who play with a shot clock in high school basketball, right. right? You know, everybody plays with a shot clock in college, you know? So, I mean, you could play at a school where, you know, you come down, you run a motion offense for two minutes, and then you get a backdoor layup, and that's not the reality of the college game. It's a much faster pace. So I think that junior college is a good avenue for people. Uh, I am going to, you know, speak up for my league, for the NWAC, where I just came from. Um, you know, it's really talented league, some amazing guard play, um, like quick, some lightning quick guards, some really good shooters. Um, but I was really impressed with, like, the forward guys. You know, the guys who are from that 6'4 to 6'6 range who were just really skilled, you know, um, who could put it on the deck, who could shoot the mid-range, who could hit trail threes. We didn't have a lot of seven-footers in our conference. You know, we didn't have a lot of seven-footers in our league. Um, but, you know, that there, now there is a 6'10 guy at Wenatchee Valley who was – who was who was really doing some work this year out in the east? So he had a sixty point game this year. So um, wow, yeah. So so, but I mean the NWAC is tough though. It's very competitive. It's high level basketball. So you know, I I think that um, I think people. I this is my challenge to people because a lot of people look down on junior college athletics. Right. I would challenge you to go watch some JUCO games. And then contact the JUCO coach and ask, can you come run? Can you come play open? And just see, can you get a shot off? Because you'd be pleasantly surprised. Oh, I love that. You know, and I think part of the problem is, coach, is that people see like we talked about Last Chance U. That was a that was a show that came out. Well, they they finally had a basketball version in the second season. I talked to the, one of their coaches at a club tournament down in California a few weeks back, and he said, yeah, season two is about to come out for the basketball one. Cool. And I think people get the wrong idea about junior colleges because they get they get a little bit of an idea of like what the glamour part of it is because they see it from a Hollywood perspective. But they also see some of the nat they, they look at it and they go, oh, well, those facilities are garbage. Like it's one gym. There's one set of bleachers. It's like discussing my high school gym. My elementary school gym has as many like they'll, they'll say little things like that. Um, and I love what you were just saying from a coach's perspective. You got to see it all. Um it's wild. We had a couple kids up in uh, Walla Walla from from Idaho this last year. Kobe Kelly being one of them, Josh mm -hmm. Gillespie being another. Um, those are two dominant kids here last year in Idaho. Granted, it was at a two way school, but highly talented athletes. And I mean, they go there. They did their. They did well. But I mean, they have even told me about the difference in the speed of the game. Like it's just a completely different speed of the game. And I love that you brought up everything that you did. Just so everybody remembers what you just said. Juco is tough. Like you, you brought up the transfer portal, how that's affected it. That trickles down. Like it, it trickles all the way down. So the, the, the junior college route is getting tougher and tougher and it will continue to do so because the transfer portal is now here. NIL is now here. All these opportunities, like these, these division one universities, the majority of them are going to be going for athletes that are in the transfer portal first and there's limited opportunities. So it's going to trickle down to junior colleges and th those smaller schools 
So I, I just want the athletes that are listening to like realize like it's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not like you can just go, you know, it's not like, uh, hey, homeless, come to college. It's not like that. It's like you, you're going to you're going to have to work if you want to get a spot on, on one of these places. But it is an opportunity to play. Um, I, I believe there's a lot more opportunities there. You're just going to you're, you're not going to be able to just go over there and not work. You're going to have to work regardless of where you go. Um, you know, I, I would I would interject right there and say. Junior college right now. The work ethic part. I think it's comparable to the highest level of basketball. And this is why I say that, because like during my time at, at, at South Florida, you know, like my schedule was was very regimented. Right. It was like, you know, you're up. You know, I had treatment at 8 a.m., you know, you know, ankles, knees, that kind of stuff. Then I'm at class. Then I got weights at like 12 and then I got lunch and then I got position group meetings and then we got team film and then we got practice and then I got study hall after that. And I wake up and I do it all over again the next day. Well, in the junior college world, most of those schools, those coaches aren't even on campus during the day. Right. So you talking about having some self-discipline. Like that's that's on you to get up and get into the weight room and to make sure you're getting your schoolwork done. A lot of our classes were online these, these last two years. So, like, are you letting that homework pile up on you or, you know, are you sleeping in till noon? Right. So, like, you really have to have that discipline because, you know, my staff, I had two guys on staff when I was coaching at South Puget Sound. You know, I think I had like six coaches when I was at South Florida. Right. So so it's not even as many people there to like watch you and keep their thumb on you. Right. To make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do. And um, and when you don't, there's the business side of it, because like you like you mentioned, you know, you got the transfer portal, man. You have you know, you're able to get kids. You know, I feel like I had some guys who some division two guys who I was able to get and. You know, because the spots weren't there. Simple as that. I mean, yep. you look at my, if you look at my roster, man. I had kids from. I mean, I was all over the place. I had kids from Washington, from Florida, from North Carolina. I had two kids. I had a kid from from Turkey. Um, I had two kids from Brazil who wanted to come. You know, so people are wanting to come. This basketball thing is international. So you know, it is really it's really competitive to get on a roster and then once you do you really got to buckle down man and hunker in and stay focused if you're really going to be successful so insightful this is this is huge because i don't think people fully for some kids maybe they get it but i don't even think some parents or even coaches at the high school level get it yet because it's shifted so much in the last two or three years compared to what it was before so i think a lot of people still haven't even fully wrap their minds around what you're saying right now. So I'm glad that you're sharing this because it's like, Hey guys, like you coaches might have some experience, but like, this isn't the same as it was two or three years prior. Like this is, it's, it's even shifted more since then. So, you know, coach, you talked about, uh, and we alluded to it earlier, coaching at various levels, most recently sound Puget, uh, sorry, 
was yep. South Puget Sound Community College was the most recent. Correct. Um, but you've also coached other community colleges, the D3 level and the NAIA level. Correct. A lot of people, especially even athletes, they don't really understand the differences, quite honestly. They don't understand the differences between those because some would say, well, there's junior colleges that are more talented athletically than D3s and NAIAs and so forth. So from your experience being able to coach at each level, um, what would you say are the, the the comparables there, whether they be athleticism, scholarships, um, price, et cetera? Yep. So all, all those things, you know, so we're in a grocery store. We're going to put a whole bunch of stuff in our basket right now when you're comparing, when you're comparing those things. So when you look at uh, let's, let's talk size and like skill. So usually as you go, traditionally, you probably go about two inches in size and about six, four to six inches in vert per position. So for example, you, you know, you're a division one guy, you may have a, a 610 guy might be a smaller division one center, right? So somebody from 610 to seven, sometimes seven one, and you go D3, you might have a guy who's, if you're six eight playing center in D3, you're big, you're huge, you're probably the biggest guy in your conference, you know? So, and then when you look at athleticism as a scout, you know, when I'm coaching division three, when we're preparing for a division one team, that's the easiest scout because what they run is so vanilla. But the athleticism is the difference. You know, we were running heavy ball screen stuff. We were playing uh, at Portland State. They had a seven-footer just switch our ball screen head up at the top of the key and steal the ball from my 6'1 guard. You know, and he's seven feet tall, <laughs> right? So, um, so you know, when you're looking at size-wise, it's going to be hard for you to play the two or the three at 6'3 in Division One game. Right. That guy's like six, six, maybe six, seven. Right. So but at six, three in the D3 world, you're a big guard. You're a huge guard, you know, at six, three. So um, and, and then and then the game is a little different, you know, at different levels. Like out here, um, you have the the Northwest Conference in Division three. So that's like your your Willamette, your Linfield, that's your um, your Whitworth. Um, and your Whitman, you know, George Fox, you know, those schools and everybody shoots the cover off of it. Everybody shoots the cover off of it. You don't see a lot of zone because everybody can shoot the three ball. Everybody can, you know, now division three is going to be the most expensive route. Okay. Just to be honest with you, it's going to be the most expensive route. If you're going to go D three, then you need to be looking to pay anywhere from like 15 to 20 out of pocket. Wow. That's that per, per year. Yep. Per year. That's kind of, so there's no basketball scholarships there. Right. So uh, when you go to junior college route, now here's something that's hard about the JUCO route is the housing and the meal situation because junior colleges typically don't have dorms, don't have cafeterias on campus. So it's not like you're going somewhere where you can get a meal plan. Right. So that's one of the things, that's definitely one of the challenges from the JUCO world. You know, so I would, if you're going junior college, maybe you can, if you got a brother or a sibling, that's great. Or if you know somebody else in the area um, that you can kind of partner up with, you know, get an apartment with, um, you know, that's those, those things are all helpful. Right. So it's like, you see this division one world where it's like, oh, I got this full scholarship and, you know, all I need to bring is my clothes. Right. Well, that's not necessarily the case as you move on down the level, yeah. you know, it's a lot different. So, um, you know, like for us, you know, in Washington, 
your full scholarship, and I use the word full in air quotes, is 60% of your tuition at an in-state rate. Ah, uh, okay. okay. So that's what that means. In Oregon, and this is in the NWAC conference, in Oregon, you can give um, full tuition costs. And that's your full scholarship, right? So you still got to get books. Still got to know where you're going to live at. Still got to have, um, you know, housing, stuff like that. Still got to have meals, stuff like that. So, so there's some, so, and that's why I said to you earlier, right? You have to decide, man, if you really want to play, right? It's, it is tough. It's almost like, can you survive long enough to play? Yeah, that is, and it's not to deter people. I don't think you're trying to deter people, but it's just to bring it into reality. It's bringing it into focus for a lot of the kids that just think that it's going to be, and even parents, I think a lot of parents are uneducated, unfortunately. I mean, there's resources. I'm trying to educate people with my platform, but unfortunately I can't talk to 6 billion or however many people are on the earth. Like it's not right. <laughs> like a lot of people need to, to listen in and, and, and be educated because yeah, it's, there, there are factors that play into everything and you got to kind of have a little bit of some self-awareness in my opinion. You've got to look at yourself the way you play basketball one, like what kind of athlete are you? Are you really ready for that next level? Um, and what level at the next level? Um, and that's, that's the kind of thing, you know, it's interesting coaches here in, in our area where I live, there's two schools in the NAIA, uh, for basketball and that's uh, Northwest Nazarene University and the College of Idaho. Um, College of Idaho, I think, just made it to the Final Four in, in, in AIA. Um, Coach Colby Blaine, major shout-out to him. I went to high school, played against him back in the day. Um, he's done a really good thing over there, but I I encourage all the kids to go watch these guys. I'm like, this is NAIA. Um, and it's funny that you said, like, go to a junior college thing and see if you can get a shot-off. I've, I've encouraged these guys to try to go do runs with these guys in the open gyms that they have because I'm like, dude, even at the NAIA level, I'm like, man, these guys are super athletic, like super uber athletic. athletic. Like I'm just like blown right. away. And right. they wouldn't, they don't look it. Sometimes you're like, oh, it doesn't, you're judging a book by its cover. Then you're like, oh my gosh. And these right. guys have better body control. These guys have, they have an understanding of how to get their shot off. They had defensively just little tips and tricks on defense, how to leverage your body different ways, cut off angles, all these little intricacies of the game. They right. figure it out. And that's the NAIA level. So it's, it's just wild to me. I just wish people had a little more self-awareness. Like, Hey, it's, it's, it's okay if you're not, quite there yet but understand where you can go to develop maybe going to a junior college might be the best route for you but you also have to understand there are some external factors such as food and the cost of living depending on where you're at um, right. i know a lot of guys unfortunately and i'm sure you're, you're the same way you've seen some people a lot of kids who went the junior college route um i mean pendleton oregon is a is an area no, no hate on pendleton but honestly there's nothing there besides a wild horse you know wild horse casino that's about it and I saw kids go there. Rodeos, rodeos. Dude, uh, yeah, okay. Give shout out to the rodeo. I'll give them some sort of credit. Dude, that place is disgusting. And every time I drive by there to go to the Tri Cities, because my wife's family's from there, from the Tri Cities, I, I have to go through Pendleton. And I know kids who went there and they struggled. They it wasn't the basketball thing, it wasn't school that was the problem. It was just living there. It was just they didn't like the apartment. They had to get this rinky dink apartment. It's the junior college lifestyle. They had a room with four different dudes. They're not used to that because it's not mom and dad's cooking anymore. It's That's right. flies all around in the, the kitchen because people don't know how to clean up after themselves. And they ended up coming home. So it, it is what it is. It's not to scare people, right. but it's, that's the reality of the situation. So, yeah. Coach, tell us a little bit uh, about where where we can expect to see you. Um, like, What's the plan? What's the next plans for Coach John Willis? Man, that's a good question. Uh, right now, um, I am – I have a couple of apps out there. Um, two, uh, two junior colleges have applications out for right now. Um, 
you know, I have young children, so, um, you know, it was just, you know, my reasoning for kind of stepping away from South Puget Sound was I needed to be able to spend more time with my family. Yeah. So, um, that was, that was really putting a strain on our relationship, you know, being gone so much. So right now I'm at a point where I do have a couple apps out, um, but I'm, I'm more selective about where I'm going to coach now. Yeah. You know, there was a time where, you know, I even tell you this story, but, um, you know, I'm from Florida and then, you know, I coached at Willamette, right. Which is in Oregon. So I didn't tell you how I got to Oregon, right. I didn't tell you that part yet. Um, I was in just, I'm going to tell you this. So, you know, like where my mentality was. Right. So every, every year at the final four, there's a coaching convention, uh, NABC, shout out to the national association of basketball coaches. They put on a coaching convention and this particular year, it was in Dallas, Texas. Um, Julius Randall was at Kentucky at that time. Shabazz Napier was at UConn. Uh, Frank Kaminsky was at Wisconsin and, uh, Napier, those end up winning it. So, um, so there's a convention that starts on Thursday the week of the final four. Right. So I was a high school um, coach, Yuli high school where Derek Henry was my student aide, by the way. Um, shout out to Derek. Uh, <laughs> the deuce is loose, baby. Um, so I went to a convention. I was a social studies, uh, social studies teacher. Took all my vacation days that week. Went to the, um, went to the conference, went to the convention. Mick Cronin was giving a speech on his closeout at Cincinnati because they had the best three-point defense that year. So I'm going to tell you this now because you 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 know sports. So here I am, this high school coach. Man, I get to the Sheraton Dallas, and there's like an escalator that you go up and to, to get to the ballrooms. And so I see Tubby, Tubby Smith and Rick Patino coming down the escalator the other way and you've been on the escalator so you know how close you are to people yeah so i i see them man and my, my chest starts hurting i'm like oh my god look at i'm seeing all these legends and so um i get into the thing and i see roy williams and uh steve robinson who's his assistant used to be florida state's head coach and sean may right wow i mean these people are four feet from me these are the first people i see so um you know, by this time I'm sweating, you know, I got on a suit, but like oh, my naturally. sweating, my back sweating, my butt sweating, you know, you thought I ran yeah. miles. All I did was ride an escalator. So, <laughs> um, so, so anyway, so after Mick Cronin's speech, I ended up standing in line waiting to get a muffin because it was early. And, um, and I talk about this in my book, but there's a guy named Kip Ione. He was standing behind me. And so, you know, he, commented on my suit said how good i was looking right because i was suited and booted putting that jacksonville flavor on him and um he asked me what my team ran against zone so i started diagramming with a salt and pepper shaker and some sugar packets started diagramming stuff right there and um you know he ended up we ended up hitting it off i hung out with him you know the next two days and he offered me a job man at two o'clock in the morning in ihop Oh my gosh, dude. And uh and I didn't have any more vacation days. So I had to say yes to come coach at Willamette without even going to Oregon. Hadn't even seen it. 
And I just packed up everything and left. Wow. So, so that was my mentality, right? Uh, I was like, you know what? I'll get out there and I'll figure it out when I get out there. And, um, you know, having a family and knowing what it takes for me to be prepared as I need to be as a coach, you know, I just needed to be in a little bit different situation than I was in at South Peter Sound. So now I am, I, my desire is to get back, you know, ultimately back on the four-year level and whether that's division two, division three, you know, I'm still open division one, still open that route. Um, but I think me personally, I enjoyed the four-year level more than I enjoyed the two-year level. Yeah. Um, just because of some of the tools and some of the resources that you can use, you know, like when you're scouting people, you're preparing for people. Um, you know, I'm a big synergy guy and synergy, like JUCO is not on synergy, right? You gotta be at a four-year school for that. So, um, you know, so that's just kind of my preference. I like the whole, the whole college atmosphere, you know, yeah. I, I like a band, right? I like yeah. a band and a football team, right? You know what I mean? Like those are things that I enjoy, you know, so, um, and tailgating, right? And, and things like that, you know, so um maybe that's because my experience growing up watching the gators yeah right? so um so those are things that i like about college so totally so um hopefully man you see me soon um back on the sideline um, yeah I, i'll let you know as soon as as soon as i figure it out oh man i'll let you know for sure I'm looking forward to seeing it, you know, whatever that may be. That's such a crazy story getting over to, or, and I guess that's a good point. Like, how did you get from over there to over here? Like <laughs> it is, it's pretty wild, but you know, what's cool about it coach is I've been talking to you for the last little bit, just hearing your story. Um, and I'm sure the people who are listening are thinking the same thing is whether it was your playing career or even now we heard about your coaching career. It's kind of interesting how things happen. You took advantage of the opportunities. It's like we said earlier about your coat or your playing stuff. Like you were just doing your thing. This happened to be a random opportunity that happened that presented you with a job opportunity afterwards. And you just take advantage of those opportunities. And they're in very, I would call them unique scenarios, mm -hmm. but uh, it, it was, it was unique scenarios, but it shows that if you're always prepared, who cares, man? Like take advantage of it when the opportunity arises. I think that's super, super dope. Um, before I get to my last question, which was what we'll wrap it up with, I do want to know where we can find you. I know you've got you've got a podcast called The Juice Box. You've got yeah. a website. You mentioned your book. So let's let's hear about those before I ask you your last question before we wrap up. So how can we find you? What are the different avenues? Yeah. So here's a book right here. It's called uh, Push, which uh, stands for Persevere Until Something Happens. Ooh. Um, so this is the book paperbacks, only 60 pages, easy read. Um, but it is, um, it is very inspirational. Um, I wrote this book to parents and to student athletes. So, um, like for example, uh, and I'll just read to you some of the, the chapter titles, like one is called the company you keep, one is called game winning myths, one is called riding the pine. Um, and one's called the orchard. So that just really speaks to like you cultivating your skill set and your talents. Um, so one other thing that I do is I give motivational speeches. Nice. So um that's really how I connected with Brant Minor. Shout out to Brant and Max Hoops. Um, so I'm usually his keynote speaker at all his events. 
So um, you can find me on the website is uh, www.coachjohnwillis.com. Um, you can uh, purchase a copy of the book there, or you can find me at thejuiceuniversity.com. Uh, I wrote a, a online coaching academy for amateur coaches. So if you're looking to uh, grow your game as a coach, no, no matter what level you're coaching on, um, and I also do like some team building stuff more on the corporate side. So if you, you know, it's called join the hunt where it really talks about like buy-in, there are some diversity, equity, inclusion stuff as well. So um, if you have a, if you have a company out there and you, you know, you want, you want to kind of get them riled up, uh, I have like a five part series. I can come and work with your company as well. So two websites, we have Instagram um, at coach underscore John underscore Willis there as well so that's really how to find me there and uh, like you said the juice box podcast so man you've got you, you pretty much taken so i work with entrepreneurs all day as a part of my full-time job at click funnels so i work in the marketing space with entrepreneurs all the time and you pretty much covered every app like you can't be missed if anyone were to google your name you've got it covered brother so i yeah. love it you're and you got so many talents that you like skill sets you have acquired you're an author of a book You've got websites, you're a motivational speaker, you're a coach, you do all this stuff, former athlete. I'm sure you still compete when you can and do your thing. So that kind of leads me to my last question, coach, is uh, what would be the biggest life lesson that sports have taught you at this point in your life? Oh, man. Biggest life lesson is um, um biggest life lesson. I'm going to speak to uh, – I'm going to speak to um, – I call it a mango tree and I'll, and I'll tell you what sports has taught me. It taught me to be a part of an orchard. And as you know, an orchard has different like types of fruit in it. Okay. So when you're in sports, especially team sports, specifically when you're in team sports, your role can change from any given moment. Sometimes you're the guy who we're, running a play for to take the game winning shot. Sometimes you're taking the ball out of bounds. Sometimes you're setting the screen. Sometimes, you know, you're the kicker. Sometimes you're holding the football, right? So your role can be different any given time. So what sport has taught me is to star in whatever the role is, right? So the more that I take time to cultivate my skill set, right? The better that I am for the team in whatever role the team needs me to be. So when you think about a mango tree or an apple tree or any type of fruit tree, right, that tree, you know, once it grows up and it's bearing fruit, those are the talents that you have, right? And an apple tree doesn't eat apples. You ever thought about that? A mango tree does not eat mangoes. So the talents that you have are really for other people give them away and so like the orchard is better when we all are bearing fruit right and nobody comes to pick bark people come to pick the fruit right you come pick the yeah. fruit from a tree so so the team is better i make the team better because i'm so dialed in with my skill set right so like I'm I'm able to be accountable. That's what makes the team better. And that's the biggest lesson that I've learned that I've learned in sport. Right. So it's like, what are you doing 
to submit yourself to a cause greater than yourself. Man, that's huge. I freaking love it, man. So for those who are listening, I hope you rewind that real quick and and make sure you have that down as you apply that into your sports world, whether you're a coach or an athlete right now, or you're a parent and you need to teach your kids something. Um, that is super, super important. Coach, I just want to say thank you. That was an amazing conversation. I'm going to put all the links here in the in the description of the podcast. So for those listening, if you guys want to go, you know, check out his podcast, check out the websites, check out the Instagram, Twitter pages. Make sure you guys go here to the links in the description uh, so they can find you. But I just want to say thanks for joining us, man. It's been an honor chatting with you this last hour. Thanks for having me, man. I look forward to, um, you know, staying in contact with you and working with you, man. This was awesome. had a great time. And um, and, uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. There's a place called, um, oh, man, in because you're in Boise, right? Yeah. There's a waffle place. Um, is it Waffle Me Up or so Waffle Me Up is a huge one. There's also Waffle Love, but Waffle Me Up, we know the owners of them very well. Uh, waffle Me Up is legit. That's kind of downtown, yeah. Yeah. So they had so they had the downtown area, then they brought one over to Meridian. But yes, it's in the same location as uh there used to be a donut shop there too, like yes. the exact same place. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So we went there, we were on a road trip. Um, we drove from here to the final four in Arizona and we stopped. Oh, wow. And we stopped there and had some. So shout out, shout out to those people, man. Oh like, man, I know who they are. So they're gonna love to hear that. Like I literally know who the owners are. So that's shout fantastic. Out, shout out to them, man. Shout out to them. That was great, man. So hey, if you're ever in Oregon, man, just hit me up and um uh, we'll 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 have some barbecue or do something special, man. Heck yes, sir. I'll be in contact with you for sure. And for all those who are listening, I hope you guys enjoyed as well. One last reminder, if you guys have an iPhone or an Apple device, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.